Hey, Sydney, how are you? Oh, hi. Hi. It's first time joining you. Yes, I feel like I should start again then in your honor. So let, let me just let me just recap what we've said so far. I just I have um, a bunch of relatives on the East Coast, many of whom have COVID nineteen. Most of them, thank God, are not are are okay. Um, I, I do have a great uncle who was suffering from diabetes and also hypertension, and when he got it, unfortunately, he did not make it, and his uh, his funeral was today. So that was one thing that happened today. I also have an uncle, uh, my mother's brother, who is seventy years old and in great shape. And um, he's suffering, you know, pretty badly right now from COVID-19 and in the hospital um, on a ventilator. And, uh, you know, they're trying everything and they're, they're throwing the kitchen sink because they don't know what's going to solve this issue. And they're just trying everything right now. So I just wanted to share some thoughts about that specific, the thoughts that I have about this idea that as we're dealing with the fact that my uncle, the, the topic of this class is emuna ubikachan, which means faith and trust. And what we read in the text is that what's the difference between faith and trust? Faith is the abstract. It's what I believe when everything is great. And I'm trying to think to myself, what do I believe about God? That's faith. What's trust? Trust is when you're actually faced with a difficult time. And what is your response then? That's taking your abstract thoughts before you're actually faced with that and putting it into practice. That's the difference between faith and trust. So when we started this class a couple of weeks ago, at that point, I didn't know anybody who actually was affected by COVID-19, you know, personally. But now, unfortunately, I know, I know many, many people who are affected by it. Uh, two people who I know well have, have passed away. And, and like I said, my uncle is currently in the hospital on a respirator fighting for his life with a terrible case of pneumonia and a cytokine storm where his body, his immune system is actually attacking his, himself. And, and uh, hopefully he can fight through it. But what we've been doing for the past couple of days, my extended family, we've been trying to get access to certain drugs that are experimental drugs and that we don't have access to right now. In particular, the um, Gilead, you know, in Foster City has a drug that's a, an antiviral that they've been using it for Ebola patients. And they're repurposing it right now. And, and it's showing some levels of success, not yet in any truly randomized with some, you know, real statistics, but showing some levels of success, perhaps. Um, and, but currently they closed the, the compassionate exemption and they said it's only now available to pregnant women and to children under the age of 18. And what they're trying to do is get to an expanded access program. It's going to take about a month to get that upline. Now that's not going to help my uncle or many of the people on the East coast who've been hit really hard in the East coast with this, uh, with this, uh, you know, awful disease. So we've been working really hard trying to find someone who could get it. We found out that there's a fellow in Mali, Afri Africa, who actually has access to a stockpile of this because that's where they had an Ebola outbreak in 2014. And Gilead sent them a whole bunch of the, a whole bunch of the doses. So this fellow in Mali, Africa, so we were up last night till the middle of the night, myself, my sister in Detroit, my cousin in Lakewood, New Jersey, all of us trying to coordinate and figuring out how we're going to get it. The DHL is not going to come for a week and a half. We're trying to charter a plane right now to Mali, Africa to pick up enough doses to, to offer to many, many people on the East Coast. And it's been crazy. And we've been trying to figure out ways to make this happen. While at the same time, we're also praying for my uncle to get better on the other amount of you know, kitchen sink that's been thrown at him in terms of the different remedies that they're trying right now. And they have no idea what's going to be successful. So today I was speaking with a couple of people. I was speaking with a fellow who is a Stanford 
in, on a Stanford fellowship right now, brilliant guy, who's following very closely what the trials with this specific drug, what's happening in Stanford, as well as with a fellow who's a, you know, eminent person, was previously a, um, a dean of a medical school and is very well connected and is also following this very closely, as well as a third person who was working for Gilead, very high up in Gilead, till two months ago. So I'm speaking to all three of these people to figure out what's the best protocol right now for my uncle. And if we do get this miracle drug, maybe, then what are we going to do with it when we get it? And at one point, one of them mentioned to me, he said, you know, Rabbi, the odds that this is going to actually help your uncle based on statistics is very, very low, right? The, the, we don't know if it's gonna work, right? There's no, there's no real studies yet that show that this works. And given the state where my uncle is right now, it's definitely not the place in which it's been shown to be the most efficacious, right? We're no longer talking about fighting the virus. Now we're talking about fighting this reaction that his immune system is having to it. And he said to me, you know, at what point do we say, this is what we try to do to make things happen. And then the rest we say is up to God. And I, it gave me pause. And then literally a moment later, my sister who's been up you know, 24 seven trying to take care of this issue also, texted me in a, in a text message, listen, whatever happens right now, whether we get this drug or not, it's important to recognize that everything is in the hands of God. And we shouldn't think that whether we get this drug or not, that's going to be the solution. If we get this drug, he's going to live. If we don't get this drug, he's not going to live. So it gave me pause and I wanted to speak about this tonight. So I wanna share with you my screen now. I have a I have a source sheet that I put together with some of the sources in the, in the Talmud, in the oral Torah describing this very idea. So it's a mission of Sachem, our first source. Six things King Chizkiyo did. Concerning three, the sages agreed with him and concerning three, they did not agree with him. He dragged his father's bones on a rope bier and they agreed with him. He crushed the bronze serpent and they agreed with him. He hid the book of remedies and they agreed with him. We're gonna leave aside dragging his father's bones. That will leave aside. He crushed the bronze serpent. What is the bronze serpent referring to? So when there was a specific plague in the desert, there was a plague of snakes that were attacking the Jews in the desert when they were traveling for 40 years. And Moses was told by God to build a bronze serpent. And that when the Jews looked at that bronze serpent, that would cause them to be healed. So at this point in time, Chizkiyo crushes the bronze serpent. Now, what's the idea of the bronze serpent? How does looking at a bronze serpent heal you from an illness, right? And also, what is this book of remedies? So let's do one at a time. The next source in the Mishnah Rosh Hashanah tells us, describing a little bit of a different story, let's leave that aside for now, tells us that it came to pass when Moses held up his hand, Israel prevailed. Did the hands of Moses wage war or break Israel's ability to wage war? Rather, this teaches that as long as Israel would look upwards and subject their hearts to their father in heaven, they prevailed. And if not, they fell. Similarly, make for yourself a fiery serpent and mount it on a pole. And if anyone who is bitten shall look at it, he shall live. Did the serpent kill or did the serpent keep alive? Rather, when Israel would look upwards and subject their hearts to their father in heaven, they were healed. And if not, their flesh would melt away. Right? So what's the source telling us? What was important for Chizkiyo to do? He felt it was important to crush this bronze serpent. Why did he need to crush it? Because people started believing that the bronze serpent itself contained a power. And they didn't recognize that the serpent itself has no power. And the only thing that has power is the, the, uh, it's the agent of God, it's the agent of Hashem to help bring about the remedy. And what made me realize this, how this is particularly relevant today 
is when I was speaking to this fellow from Gilead, and he said to me, Rabbi, listen, there are so many different things that your uncle's on right now. We have no idea if every single one of those things, they might all actually have a bad effect. We don't know. They might all actually be hurting him. They might be helping. They might be hurting. We just don't know. And it reminded me of this idea that ultimately, when it comes to remedies, the remedy is just the agent. And we have to always recognize medicine. We have to listen to medicine. And we have to listen to the doctors. But ultimately, the very same thing, some people are going to have a specific genetic response to that. They'll have specific um, their antibodies have already been built in a certain way that the mix of that plus a specific antiviral, that will solve the problem. For some people, it will actually do the exact opposite. Now, how do we know the difference? We don't know the difference. It, what's important to recognize is that when you're faced with situations like this, ultimately, we're going to have to pray. We're going to have to come to recognize we thought everything was in our, in our hands. We thought everything was under control. The entire world was, was under our control. And the entire world was brought to its knees by a tiny little virus that we can't even see, right? I think that's the, the message, or at least one of the messages definitely seems to be that we are not in control. And not only that, when it comes to the remedies, we think this is the remedy, that's the remedy. We don't even know. It could be a remedy. It could actually be a double-bladed sword and, and actually be the killer. We don't know. So what does that leave us with? That leaves us with recognizing that when we are faced with these types of scenarios, we have to come to recognize what we have control over, what we don't have control over, and what we don't have control over, we have to then pray and just ask, ask God to do our best, once again, do our best to stop this, do our best efforts. And we're still working hard. My sister just called me three times and I'm about to call her back to figure out exactly how we're going to charter that plane to get that medicine here. But it's also important to take a step back and recognize, don't lose sight of what's really happening here. Don't lose sight of the fact that people are ill and we have to also pray. And that's also important. And that's perhaps, and that perhaps that is definitely more important even than the specific remedy. If it's this remedy or that remedy, especially today when we don't even know is anything a remedy or is this actually making it worse? Hope everyone is well and stay safe and uh, doesn't leave their house unless it's absolutely necessary because what's happening on the East Coast now, we do not want to have happen over here. Take care, everyone. Be well.